Hello and welcome to the CounterPoint podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the situation in the semiconductor world and I'm joined uh, by our research director, Dale Guy. Hello, Dale. How are you today? Hey, Peter. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Great. So Dale has joined CounterPoint fairly recently, coming from a career in equity research with some of the biggest banks in the world. And uh, it's leading our charge, looking at the overall kind of semiconductor market with a special focus on the uh, foundries. Um, and they are very much in the frame at the moment, as we're kind of coming out of this, well, I guess some of us are still in the pandemic, we're still in the lockdown here in the UK. I think Taiwan has been, a, you know, has, has managed the situation much better. But it, it's interesting, actually, Dale, because it's, um, I guess it's just about a year since, uh, you know, because Chinese New Year 2020 was when the pandemic really kind of made headlines around the world. Um, and that was when we saw, you know, a big kind of crash in demand in China at the same time as a lot of people were kind of going home from the factories. Um, so that impacted the supply chain then. Right. You know, what we've seen since then is is a, a kind of a strong bounce back in demand um, at different rates across the world. And as people have been working much more from home and, you know, using smart devices more to entertain themselves, we've seen this this kind of increase in demand, right? So, you know, there's there's been this this difficulty for the overall um, semiconductor and finished goods supply chain to kind of manage that, you know, drop in demand and then return of demand. Um, and I think, you know, where this is this really kind of hit the headlines is in the automobile sector. Um, so, you know, sales of cars fell off a cliff back when the pandemic first hit, but then they kind of bounced back. But the, I guess the auto industry is a bit slower moving than maybe smartphones. So, you know, they, they forecast the recovery badly um, and now they're being hit. Is, is that how you see it? Yeah, thanks, Peter. I think uh, it, the, this year definitely uh, is also challenging to the supply chain because I, I think last year, all the supply chain question is where's the demand? And this year, the question became, becomes to where's the supply? Uh, because we do find a supply shortage, uh, particularly in the semiconductor industry and recently uh, hitting the auto uh, automotive sector uh, more. Uh, I think there are two special reasons. First of all, uh, if you look at the recovery of the demand from last year, uh, auto was the last one. I remember when in July to August, uh, we start to see the demand from PCs, smartphones, smart homes, um, uh, even people talk about new game consoles, people talk about iPhones. We start to see the demand come up. And, but also, we didn't hear the demand pick up until uh, fourth quarter. So if you know this industry where most of the foundry or the wafer plant are pretty much six months, even longer plant uh, in the pipeline. So when the demand comes up uh, in auto uh, chips uh, for foundry guys, they actually, they already fully book. So they fully book in Q1, Q2, maybe into the second half. So right now we see the big demand is about imbalance in the auto industry. And secondly, I think uh, in the past few years, uh, most of the auto guys, they are not, they didn't increase too much capacity. They actually outsource more to foundry. And uh, most of the company were IDN, such as uh, NXP, such as Renaissance, 
Um, but increasingly, they had outsourced more to Foundry. So they rely on Foundry more, but now Foundry capacity fully booked. So even if they want to turn back to their in-house production, it's take time. So I think in addition to this work from home demand, in addition to the 5G or the high-performing computer, we talk. But two reasons uh, which are particularly addressing these issues, which are unexpected until very end of year. Thanks, Dale. I th- and I think it's an interesting to look at the way that the auto industry is is structured, because you know, as you mentioned, there are you know some of the, the chip suppliers like NXP and so on. Um, you know, they tend to supply to you know the the tier one suppliers that then supply to the uh, final auto manufacturers, right? So there's this slightly more complex you know, chain of intermediaries uh, through the through the auto supply chain, um, which I think maybe adds a bit of a bit of complexity. Um, plus, I guess there's there's another there's another transition which has been going on in the in the smartphone space. So we're you know you talked about iPhones. Apple launched the 5G iPhones in uh, October, and then you know further models in into November. So you know they also saw a, a kind of a big ramp in demand and, and obviously supply for that. And those iPhones, or the chips for those iPhones, and then uh, what Apple did with its um, new MacBook Air on the M1 chip. So they, they've been kind of migrating to these very advanced uh, nodes within the five nanometer and so on. But I think that the auto industry is, is still on some of the more mature nodes, right? Yeah, they are either in an inch fab or some mature nodes in 12 inch. And particularly on eight inch, uh, the, if you look at the from the chip maker perspective, the, the incentive, for example, for foundry guys, the incentive to any capacity is pretty low because the ROI, return of investment on inch fab, um, is not as high as the investment in the advanced chips. So if you look at the demand supply, uh, if uh, in the mature nodes, the global supply annually roughly about low single digits every year. So one to three percent, if we add it together, the wafer supply of, of uh, mature nodes, only low single digit. But demand before this COVID-19, the demand relatively stable. So people looking at low single uh, digit growth in both demand supply, which matches. But now the demand um, um, have picked up. So the demand would be, if demand is 5%, 7%, that created the, the, the big shortage uh, because it's too late for the uh, for the foundry, um, um, the chip makers to increase capacity at this point. Even they need, take, they need time to uh, order the equipment. Um, so the whole supply chain, um, the, the, the issue is the underestimate of the uh, mature those products and underinvestment of the foundry fabs in the past few years. Yeah, and I think you, you, you touch on a really interesting point here, which is the, the lead times involved, I, I guess not just in terms of, you know, if I, if I increase my capex on new equipment uh, for the foundry, there's, there's a long lead time for that. But, you know, there's, always, there's also a long lead time from, you know, placing an order you know, for new chips, to actually, you know, getting those through the foundry, um, having them packaged, tested, and you know, put into the into the supply chain. So, can you talk a little bit about 
what some of those lead times are? There are a couple of lead times. First of all, uh, in advanced note, uh, the lead time of foundry production could be 12 to 14 weeks, even could be a little bit longer. And in the mature notes, it means maybe uh, about 10 to 12 weeks. So in the foundry size, the major bottleneck. That's why chip makers, they have to place the uh, super hot um, uh, uh, placement, order placement in a foundry because uh, there's a, there's a no luxury for them to wait for 10 to 12 weeks. They have to, they have to um, uh, get the uh, confirmation of the, uh, of the wafer supply as soon as possible. And beyond that, I think in the industry-wise, uh, we, saw, we also see the bottleneck from the packaging. Packaging has been a very, very mature industry as well. Um, but now packaging, similar story. They, their capacity have been fully booked by other applications. Packaging usually take about a few weeks. And, uh, um, and if we talk about a module, the downstream, it may be uh, one to two weeks. But if we add it together, this lead time um, from chip manufacturing to the, uh, the, the end product, uh, supplying to the automotive module makers, uh, it's, it's about three months, four months. Uh, so that's why in our view, I don't think the auto supply shortage could be resolved soon. The most likely we will see a better situation in late of second half of this year. Uh, because even if you place order now, you have to wait for the chips and all the, the packaging uh, finish by sometimes after summer. And you have to, you know, and this is just maybe the part of the small portion of the uh, of, of, of your um, order. So we saw the situation actually is quite challenging for, um, for the supply chain. So the auto sector could be uh, in a lot of pain for at least the first half of this year and I guess what you're saying is, you know, possibly even almost throughout the year, right? So that's that's going to be tough. <laughs> that's exactly pretty tough. That's why I saw the news news that uh, some automaker uh, already uh, cut the uh, their their car shipment forecast because they they, they realize um, it's not likely to solve the problem soon. They have to back to reality. This year they have the lower shipment of their the cars in light of the uh, uh, chip shortage. Now, we're, we're just coming out of the uh, fourth quarter earnings season, and quite a few of the uh, chip makers have actually reported really strong uh, revenues, you know, upsiding, you know, by huge margins in some cases. Um, so so what's going on there? So is it is it a kind of a combination of, you know, things like uh, the shift to 5G in, in the smartphone space, um, you know, coupled with, you know, the fact that maybe many, some of these uh, companies built up some inventory during the first part of the pandemic and are now being working down that inventory. So they've, you know, managed to sort of multiply their sales a bit or is, what else is, what else is going on? Right, right. Thank you, Peter. I think if you look at an industry, semiconductor industry, uh, if we talk about logic semiconductor only, in other words, excluding the memory chips, uh, the large industry this year, we're looking for about 10% of the uh, YOY year-over-year growth. Uh, last year was uh, single digit. So we do see the acceleration of sales growth. Um, there are a couple of reasons behind uh, 5G applications, uh, work from home demand, uh, also the high-performing computing, which is uh, related to data center. 
all these uh, digital uh, platforms. Um, but the other one of the reasons which we haven't found in the past few years is about the wafer price increase appreciation because in industry the pattern was declined gradually for the for the for the similar products. So you, you probably start from wafer, say five thousand dollar US dollar for the wafer, and you gradually decline five percent, seven percent every quarter or uh, or a few quarters. But we saw the this wafer price stop to decline from second half. And for mature nodes, uh, they even increased the price. So in addition to the wafer shipment growth, this, this cycle, particularly, uh, we, we saw finding this uh, wafer price increase. So higher selling price, higher shipment, that makes the sales growth accelerated. Okay. Um, we, we talked a bit about um, Apple kind of transitioning to 5G iPhones, um, and those are built using their own chipset uh, with five nanometer as the process node. Um, and we've also kind of mentioned the fact that Apple is shifting on its computing platform, so it's it's Max um, away from Intel-based chips. Now that it's it's talking about that transition taking, I, I guess, a couple of years to to move you know all of its computing platforms very away from Intel, but what, what what does that mean for the broader industry? You know, because I, I guess Intel has been one of the big, you know, chip makers, and you know has some well discussed uh, challenges that it's facing itself. But you know, if if a fairly sizable player like Apple is moving um, essentially to ARM based chips away from Intel, you know, they're, they're using TSMC as their fab, right? For you know, Apple is so. So, what does that mean in terms of the overall kind of capacity for you know, other players? You know, are we expecting you know, other computing um, manufacturers to shift also to an ARM-based platforms? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Peter. Actually, this is quite uh, a lot of question around there. But you know, in addition to uh, Apple, um, even though Qualcomm, they also restart to working on their chips, uh, targeting the PCs, MediaTek. They uh, officially talked about this year their Chromebooks were using MediaTek chips um, on, on, uh, more. So in other words, if you look at the client, no, client PC industry, uh, which uh, matched to about the consumer or low-end commercial notebook industry, if you look at these sectors, uh, Apple is a game changer uh, from long-term perspective because in this industry, Intel uh, and AMD, primarily Intel, dominant space. Um, but if you look at lots of the feedback, uh, where actually we internally, you know, we we also uh, try to uh, um, um, play this uh, M1 chips in the new Macs and finding uh, it's running pretty pretty smoothly. Um, so we think more and more consumers will think about not just using Intel, but also ARM-based PCs. They offers good not uh, good performance and plus the good uh, uh, four factors such as power power savings, uh, such as running other uh, major other, uh, some softwares. So I think across the board, ARM-based PC uh, today remains small part of the total PC shipment. But uh, we do see Apple, Qualcomm, MediaTek, uh, maybe others um, come to this area, and uh, 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 and that's the big one, of the biggest challenge to Intel. 
Uh, since you know the other discussion point should be Intel delay its leading edge technology, they lose shares to AMD. But in our view, the more important change to Intel on notebook side is the threat from ARM base. I think Apple make a very good uh, example, and people are waiting for even better uh, M chips uh, using more advanced nodes from TSMC into next year. Uh, we do see the penetration of onboard PCs uh, would, would, would be would be uh, is likely to accelerate it from this year. Mm. And uh, I mean, will the foundries have capacity to be able to support this transition if it, if it comes fast? There's definitely uh, challenging to the to 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 TSMC and its major customers, but in our view. Uh, if we talk about leading edge, say seven nanometer, five nanometer, um, TSMC and even Samsung Foundry, they had a very long-term plan of adding the equipment such as EUV. So they booked EUV already. ASML will ship EUV, uh, have a big backlog, but they will gradually ship the EUV and uh, the capacity bill so far in our view uh, should meet the demand. Not only in the ARM-based PC, the CPUs, but also 5G smartphones. So in our view, 7 nanometer, 5 nanometer, uh, these technology capacity uh, should be uh, well built for current demand. But again, the upside risk would be the uh, unexpected strong demand from Apple, for example, uh, from the Mac, from the MacBook uh, using M1 chips. Uh, um, TSMC has to add a capacity. Uh, so there's still an upside risk. However, compared to the mature nodes where no one want to add a capacity so far, I think TSMC, if you look at a CapEx capital investment this year, 25 to 28 billion US dollar, that's a record height, double from three years ago. And you know the, the story behind is the major customer increasing their order uh, on Outlook uh, from PCs, from servers, and from 5G smartphones. Yeah, and I think uh, you, you've covered a lot of that, um, you know, the way that CapEx is going to in, impact the industry in a, in, a couple of, in a couple of blogs that you've written recently, which, you know, any listener can, you know, check at uh, counterpointresearch.com and, and read Dale's, Dale's blogs there. Um, just, just before we kind of wrap up, um, you know, that obviously we've been going through this trade war between the US and China and that that has impacted you know a number of players particularly Huawei uh, which was one of TSMC's kind of primary customers and I think you know has supported TSMC you know through its high silicon um, chip brand with a lot of the you know the developments of, of new process nodes what do you see as the you know the the opportunities and challenges here both for the um, you know, the existing players, but also some of the new chip makers uh, in China, such as SMIC. I mean, it, will they be able to, you know, fulfill some of the um, requirements of China-based companies, or is that, you know, are they a little bit behind in terms of technology? Right. If you look at uh, technology, uh, even before the sessions uh, where uh, U.S. government uh, banned the equipment. A leading equipment in the U.S. to SMIC, uh, SMIC technology already is already behind TSMC or Samsung Foundry at least two to three generations, uh, which means about five years plus. 
And uh, from now on, we think SMIC, uh, they are changing their strategy to developing uh, or expanding their, uh, their, their, their growth from mature nodes because there's many demand, local demand, uh, including uh, the power management ICs, automotive chips, um, some SEMO uh, sensors, some low-end memory chips. Uh, there are the demand there. So um, I think SMIC um, strategy is going to feed the, uh, meet the demand from local customers. However, the challenging always that uh, currently they don't, for, for overseas customers, uh, everyone be cautious about SMIC. So that's why they, lots of the customers such as Qualcomm, for example, they shift their business, the OFA orders from SMIC to Taiwanese foundries. Uh, late last year because they don't want these issues to impact uh, their uh, power management ICs, which is a small chips, but it's very, very important uh, to their business. Um, so this is where we found uh, the challenge on SMIC. Uh, uh, if you look at their, their sales portfolio, uh, China-based China customer remains majority. Uh, however, uh, we think uh, in the in the short term, uh, this situation would not be changed. In other words, they have to rely on the China customers' um, uh, business uh, to grow. Otherwise, uh, their high-end uh, investment seems not likely to happen in any time soon. All right, Dale. I think we've exhausted our time. Uh, so thank you very much for for joining and joining late in in your day. So many thanks. No, 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 no worry. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Thank, thanks for all the questions. I think uh, in conclusion, uh, people talk about a chip, uh, chip shortage uh, would not be resolved soon. Even industry uh, leaders think 2022, we might see the better situation. Uh, but uh, the, 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 uh, the dynamics uh, will, be, um, will be a certainty to some supply chain, uh, automotive, and uh, maybe other consumers. Um, so we will see. But this is a good topic. Thank you for your time. All right, great. Thanks, Dale. And if anyone's listening, if you want to reach out to us to talk more about this, please do uh, uh, find your uh, CounterPoint representative. You can reach out to info at counterpointresearch.com. Um, otherwise, it's just for me to say thanks for listening and tune in to the next CounterPoint podcast. Many thanks. Bye now. Thank <laughs> you.